Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. You know, situation continues to, to darken for Trump as a result of the January 6th hearings. You know, that that's going to come back and potentially bite uh, Bailey as well, because he cannot get elected in Illinois as governor in a general election strictly on the shoulders of Trump voters. He has to find a way to win over independents and some Democratic leaning people. Hi, everybody. I'm Franz Spielman. My guests this week are two of my most talented colleagues, sometimes political reporter Tina Svondelis and Dave McKinney, investigative and political reporter at our news partner, WBEZ Radio, and formerly the Springfield Bureau Chief for the Chicago Sun-Times. Thank you both for joining us for this post-election wrap-up. Thanks, Fran. This was an election that had very few surprises, at least to me. It did not veer from the pre-election poll that we did, showing the stunning rejection of Aurora Mayor Richard Irvin, the gubernatorial candidate handpicked and bankrolled by Illinois' richest man, soon to be one of Florida's richest men, Ken Griffin. What, if anything, surprised you, blew you away about this election? Tina, why don't you go first? Um, I do think the numbers were very, very bad for Richard Irvin. We did expect them to be bad. We did think he would possibly be in second place. He ended up in third place behind um, the venture capitalist, Jesse Sullivan. Um, and Dave and I were talking over election night. We did the story together. Just the numbers in Chicago and even the collar counties were also very bad for Richard Irvin. And as you as anyone in Chicago knows, that's they were heavily marketing our area with commercials for most of the year. Um, spending lots of money here. And it looks like it did not do very much for his numbers. Um, and as you said, about a month ago or so, we had that poll. So they kind of um, deserted uh, deserted some areas knowing that they were kind of just dripping money. Um, so what we did see is a really bad performance for him in Chicago and, and the suburbs. And perhaps the polling influenced people to not waste their vote and put it with somebody who might have stood a better chance. Like if you didn't like Irvin and you didn't like Bailey, then you went to Sullivan and Sullivan maybe did better than we thought. Dave, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, I think there's there's that possibility. I mean, I think the poll that we published, it, it, it captured it might have been just a couple of weeks late in capturing the, the real turn that was happening behind the scenes. But I think you can sort of almost point back to the you know, the, the press conference that he did in May, Richard Irvin, where where he just fumbled an answer on abortion and he fumbled an answer on Donald Trump. And and those two things are about as 
red of red meat issues as there are to Republican primary voters in Illinois right now. And I think, you know, as, as word of that kind of trickle, I mean, there was there was already suspicion about who Richard Irvin was, whether he was a, a sort of a closet Democrat. Um, and, and I just think this cemented the deal in a lot of minds. And, you know, what what I thought was kind of interesting in, you know, looking at the the numbers post-election was that I think in the general election, um, you know, we have uh, Bailey with a lot of work he has to do. I mean, he 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 did hustle a lot in this uh, primary. I mean, he was he hit all 102 Illinois counties, for example. But if you look at the collar counties, and you have the, the numbers that that uh, Bailey got in DuPage and Kane and Lake uh, and Will, those those numbers were generally half to two thirds of, of what J.B. Pritzker running. And basically, I mean, he had a primary, but it was a nominal primary. Pritzker like outperformed him just in terms of raw vote totals in the collar counties. And I think that's a very troubling sign right now if I'm in the Bailey campaign, because that's that's an area he has to win if he's going to be governor. What surprised me and really stunned me was how Griffin could have opened his wallet to the tune of more than $50 million without first vetting his candidate and seeing what skeletons might be in his closet. Like, for example, the incident with his girlfriend at the uh, dispensary where he shows up and says, I'll take care of it, or the clips that showed him praising J.B. Pritzker's leadership during the pandemic, which paved the way for a commercial that says, why is he running? Why is he even running? And as you said, he seemed to perform like a deer in the headlights on the issues that he should have expected, abortion, Trump. How could they not have better prepared and vetted this man? I think they did. They definitely did vet this man, but they felt that they could control the narrative. And they felt that they could get away with the avoidance of abortion and Trump. Um, they felt that they could train him at these, these press conferences. The one that Dave was talking about, I was there, it was at his Aurora headquarters. And it was infuriating because, you know, every we did not get any answers at all. Very, sim- very, very simple questions. And then if you ask them after the press conference, you know, you, you're just talking to them as a person like that was terrible. They say, no, we think he did good. Obviously, that was some political spin, but they just really thought that they were winning with their message on TV and the mailers that were stacking up in people's homes. They, they just thought that they could control this message. And if you look at his speech on election night, he was himself. It was a good speech. Richard Urban, I think, was finally allowed to talk as himself. So I think that that was a struggle for him. He was heavily, heavily trained. Like, I, I would not be able to do that. I would be very nervous if someone's like, don't talk about this thing. Um, so I think he was finally able to let loose a bit on that final election night, and he probably would have performed better if he was able to be more of himself. Yeah, Tina wrote a great piece, Dave, about uh, the fact that Irvin was a much better retail politician than he was under the bright lights. Yeah, I, I believe that, and, and you're right. It is. It is. It's a. It, it was a control thing, and, and you can understand. I mean, I think any any sort of shrewd political strategist understands the landscape, especially in the Republican side. It's kind of true on the Democratic side too, but but the primary electorate is so, it, it, in both parties gravitates toward the kind of the extreme wings of the party. The moderates do not do well in primaries generally. And Irvin needed to sort of preserve flexibility for a general election. And that was the trap he fell into. He, he I think instead of really bearing down and focusing on what needed to get done for him in the primary election, he and his people were too focused on the general election. And instead, you know, it's it's uh, 
you know, missing the football when Lucy pulls it away and you're Charlie Brown and you go flying. I, I just think that he, uh, you know, he's going to be remembered for, you know, this, this enormous obscene cost per vote, whenever that analysis gets done. And, and, and he's also kind of living proof that, you know, Rose Garden strategies by by political candidates almost never work. And I, I my first encounter with that was back in 1996 when when it was Dick Durbin's first U.S. Senate race. And on the Republican side, you had an establishment candidate, the Lieutenant Governor Bob Custer, running against somebody on the far right, uh, Al Salvi, whose wife, ironically, Kathy, is on the, the is the U.S. Senate nominee now for the Republicans. But but Kustra had everything going his way. He had all the endorsements, all the power, the name recognition. And, and yet he was the most inaccessible candidate. He never did public appearances. And Salvi ran circles around him. And that's what happened in this election. Irvin yeah, Barrett came out when of the you out hustle somebody who's in the Rose Garden, and I've seen this a thousand times with Correct. Rahm Emanuel and Jane Byrne in her reelection campaign, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It, you're right. It never, never works. And particularly now in this media age, this 24 hour news cycle, social media age, it does not work. Meanwhile, J.B. Pritzker spent something like 17 million of his personal fortune to handpick Darren Bailey as his November opponent. They portrayed Darren Bailey as too conservative for Illinois, which of course helped him enormously in the Republican primary. This is really an out, outrageous thing that someone could spend that kind of money handpicking their opponent. Will it work, Tina? I think it it will work. I think, I think that there are more, I mean, obviously we don't know how close the race will be, but he, he did handpick his candidate. He believes that he can beat uh, a man who is anti-abortion, pro-guns, pro-Trump. Um, he thinks that the environment in Illinois is, is enough for him to win this, but it is a national tactic. Um, there's actually a Washington Post editorial out there today saying that it's hypocritical for Democrats who are upset about January 6th and the insurrection and Trump to be promoting such people, because if you care about democracy, why are you letting these people get, you know, one bit closer to being elected? Um, so I think there were plenty of stories about this. It is out in the open. Maybe this won't work the next time. Maybe primary voters will say, hey, I need to do my own research here. I, I see this paid for by the Democratic Governors Association or whatever they're seeing on their commercials. But it is uh, it is definitely in the air and it is definitely kind of scary to see uh, if some of these extremists actually win. Dave, Darren Bailey, who challenged Pritzker's iron-fisted control during the pandemic, let's talk a little bit about him. He's a downstate farmer, a folksy guy who doesn't look or talk like us big city folk. He's a millionaire who claims he understands the struggles that everyday people are experiencing. He has referred to Chicago as a corrupt and crime-ridden hellhole. He once proposed that Chicago be separated from the rest of the state. Does he stand a chance against billionaire Jay B. Pritzker in this now very navy blue state? Well, I, I mean, what a candidate coming out of a primary has to do is figure out a way to move toward the middle. And Unfortunately, Darren Bailey, he's left himself virtually no room to do that on some of these really important issues. I mean, I, I have a hard time understanding, you know, when, when the, the glare is so intense right now as it is on abortion because of what the Supreme Court did 
in the in, in overturning Roe versus Wade, where exactly is is a guy like Darren Bailey going to go? How is he going to assure suburban women who are such a vital, uh, you know, cross section of, of of voters in this state? Where where is he going to go with them to give them some assurance that you know rights that that you know. Many, many, many suburban women voters grew up with and want to preserve for their daughters and granddaughters. Where's he going to go on that? And the same way with Trump. I mean, the, the timing of the Trump endorsement for Bailey, I, I mean, it was for, for the purposes of a primary, it was sort of the cherry on the Sunday. But, you know, at the end of the day, he didn't need that endorsement from Trump. And now what he's given Pritzker is is plenty of footage of of the two of them, Trump and Bailey, standing together. And, and if this you know, situation continues to to darken for Trump as a result of the January 6th hearings, you know, that that's going to come back and potentially bite uh, Bailey as well, because he cannot get elected in Illinois as governor in a general election strictly on the shoulders of Trump voters. He has to find a way to win over independents and some Democratic leaning people. And I don't know, I, I have yet to see quite what the formula is in, in their minds to do that. Dave, I did see, I will say, I, I heard a little bit of this move to the middle yesterday in my interview with him and that he didn't want to talk about Trump. And his answer was, I'm so thankful for his endorsement. Um, I don't know if he's helping me in the future, but I am my own man and I have my own values. We did not hear that in the primary at all. And then I also did ask a January 6th question, which he has not answered. He said he wasn't paying attention to the hearings and was focused on Illinois. And I guess there are various questions thrown at him yesterday about that too. So I do think he is slightly avoiding Trump in January 6th right now in that kind of plot to get to the middle. But I think the he's governor got- wants this race to be about abortion, among other things. Will it be or are voters and even suburban women too more concerned about the pocketbook issues of inflation and also about crime that shakes everybody to the core? Well, we did see in that the Sun-Times WBEZ poll, we saw how important the economy is to voters, to primary voters. And that is, uh, and nationally, that's that's what people care about, gas and groceries and supply issues. Um, I don't know how much they can do with that. I think maybe, uh, I mean, obviously there are things that a governor can do to help with those issues, but I think what JB is going to do is to definitely focus on the abortion rights because that's a winnable strategy for him. But in, in terms of crime, too, um, in most of our stories that we've written about this issue, there's a super minority in the House and Senate for Republicans. So it is tough for a Republican to explain what their strategy would be to um, try to reduce crime when they don't have a lot that they can do in office with, with a Democratic supermajority in place. Right. And we haven't even seen the impact of no cash bail, which starts in January. Dave, what issue do you think is going to be dominant? Is it going to be abortion, which the governor wants, which plays best for him? Or will it be about these other issues that he's weaker on? I mean, the the unfortunate part about the timing of our poll was that it it came before the Roe versus Wade opinion uh, or overturning happened with the Supreme Court. So I, I would suspect the numbers for abortion have ticked up and and probably ticked up pretty substantially because I, I do think, um, you know, the, the shock of that, uh, especially to, uh, you know, I mean, older, older people who, who were around when, you know, the opinion was, was originally drafted in 1973 
and people who have grown up with it. And, and now certainly young women who took it for granted and are, are outraged at the, you know, the, the suddenly being taken away. I think they are they are very motivated by this and and almost to the point where many of them, you know, just see like, you know, the genie was let out of the bottle a long time ago on this issue. Putting it back in, I think, is virtually impossible. And I think that that is a dilemma here that could have some backlash for Republicans. Don't forget with on the economy. Yes, people are going to, you know, continue to be upset by inflation as they all as we all are. We don't like having to pay, you know. $20 $20 for a, a you know, a, a, a couple of uh, T-bone steaks or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, we don't want to have to spend enormous amounts of money for staples, but the, the, uh, the, the Democrats in Springfield, JB Pritzker as well, they, they moved to try to insulate themselves with this last budget that got passed that included about, you know, nearly $2 billion in different forms of tax relief for people. You know, it's stuff that they won't probably be, aware of at the gas pump they're, they're on, uh, here in a couple of days, July 1st, the, the there was going to be an inflationary tick up on gas prices, uh, you know, just a, whatever the CPI was, that's being taken away uh, by the state of Illinois as as is a, a grocery tax. And, and I think significantly, one thing we, we, you know, there's been very little discussion about part of that big package was uh, for homeowners uh, getting getting checks in the mail of about $300. And those should start arriving probably in September. So, you know, suddenly you're going to open your mailbox with a check for $300 from the state of Illinois. And stuff like that will will help a little bit for the Democrats on, on the economy. But, you know, it's it's a it's it's a real crapshoot. The economy is an issue. Joe Biden's unpopularity is an issue. Abortion rights are an issue. And it's just a big stew right now. What what rises to the top? Tina, what was J.B. Pritzker doing in New Hampshire in the middle of his fight for reelection? How's that going to play at home? Is he running for president? Nobody goes to New Hampshire if they don't have presidential ambitions, as nice as it is and beautiful as it is. I think I would tend to vote, go there in the fall. But if he's reelected, will he serve out a second four year term or will he be running off to uh, the hustings to, to run for president? We all know that these are his political ambitions. I do believe he was testing the waters. It's kind of funny because the New Hampshire um, Democratic Party chair was just to the right of him during that speech. And it was very obvious why J.B. Pritzker was there to do this like grandiose speech. It was a good speech. We've heard him do good speeches. He's got a good speech writer. He knows to enunciate when he has to. But um, the Democratic Party chair just was like very surprised at how good and political the speech was. So I guess he did surprise some people there, but we were not surprised. Yes, I do believe that he will try to run um, if Joe Biden does not decide to run, which I think is possible. And people in Illinois and Chicago are very parochial. They don't like people doing this. They didn't like it when Ron Emanuel dabbled in all this national politics. They want you to put your nose to the grindstone and pay attention to home and home only. So is this liable to backfire, Dave? What do you think? Well, I, I mean, Pritzker was doing a round of interviews. I mean, he, he sat down with Tina. He sat down with me separately. And, uh, you know, I, I asked him about the presidential stuff. And, you know, he he uh, he he offered a fairly clear cut commitment that he would not run for president so long as Joe Biden was on the ticket. And and so oh, that well, you could drive a truck through that answer. <laughs> you could drive I mean, a truck. You you could drive a truck through that answer. But but so far we have a, a president in the White House who says he's running for reelection. Oh, yeah. But remember so, when Biden said he would serve one term and one term only? 
things Granted. change. Yes. You know? I don't think, I don't think that he cannot, I don't think that he can say right now that he's not running because his approval ratings are terrible. It, it would be bad for the leadership of the democratic party to do that. So I don't think he can even say that if he, even if he's considering it at this moment, he cannot say that. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about some of the other races, the secretary of state, the comeback of former Wunderkind state treasurer, Alexei Janoulias, What surprised me about this race for Secretary of State, not that it was about ethics, but that it was about Anna Valencia's ethics. Mm -hmm. The fact that Valencia and her lobbyist husband played so fast and loose with mixing her personal emails and her uh, business emails with his business and lobbying that people forgot about the scandal at Janulia's family-owned Broadway Bank, the loans that failed that failed bank allegedly made to people with ties to organized crime, and that Valencia's endorsement by retiring Secretary of State Jesse White, the most popular politician the, seat, the state probably has ever seen, and by Governor Prisker, that that was not enough to carry her over the finish line. She has been a rising star since Rahm Emanuel appointed her to replace Susana Mendoza as city clerk. Yet now, if she runs for re-election, she'll almost certainly face a challenger. What happened in that race? It's exactly what you said um, with the ethical baggage. Um, but this is also a lesson in early endorsements because Jesse White endorsed her very, very early. And then she had J.B. Pritzker and then she had Dick Durbin and Tammy Duckworth. And then everything started to fall apart. And I do believe it was from Oppo research from one of the campaigns of why this came out. Um, of course. A lot of questions Always. about <laughs> um, <laughs> a lot of questions about her husband and his dealings in New Orleans and other cities and also not. I believe she didn't file a proper form of uh, economic disclosure since she's married to him. The money is one. Um, and she was hit with this repeatedly. She was emotional about it. It was actually pretty sad to watch because she had to repeat the same thing that, you know, her defense was in that she's her own woman at a debate uh, about a month ago. She said, this is what it's like to be a woman running. That's ridiculous. I really resent um, that. Don't you <laughs> as a woman? Is, I mean, that's hiding behind being a woman. Stand up yeah. and take it. If you blew it and you made mistakes, then take it. Don't hide behind being a woman. It had nothing to do with that. That's what she was told to do. She did a WGN interview where she tried to explain things and then she kept with that same messaging the whole time. It clearly didn't work. And um, Alexi, too, was asked the same thing. Like, hey, you have the same baggage as 10 years ago. Like, what's different here? And he didn't really have, I looked at a story from Politico 10 years ago when he was running against Mark Kirk of what he said about the bank. And he's using the same language as well. Of course. So, of yeah. course. We'll see he's if he changes that tune. Dave, how we'll did you feel that. about the whole issue of, um, of her hiding behind being a woman and thinking that she, you know, this is what happens when women step out? Well, I, I don't know. You see, uh, I mean, one of the ads that was in heavy rotation for Janulius was the the one where he's on the basketball court with a bunch of kids yeah. and, 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 you know, that, that sort of softening him right. up kind of image. I think that, you know, that kind of an ad can really work in certain situations. And I think it, it helped him a great deal here. It's softened, it's softened up all this baggage he has. And, you know, he's, he's, you know, a handsome guy on the basketball court who doesn't love kids. I mean, kids and dogs, you know, you put and those. Who doesn't in- love ice cream that's melting yeah. in your car. Absolutely. So it's kind of <laughs> like, you know, it's it's sort of a clever way to package a candidate. And and it's, you, you know, this, this is a race that nobody really was tuned into, a, a down ballot race that 
Um, you know, I, I don't know in the fall, I, I, I really, I, I mean, Janulius has the money obviously to keep, you know, pounding away on television. I don't know about his Republican opponent, Dan Brady, what, where the money for him is going to come from to do that. But, you know, I, I think, you know, there, there have been plenty of examples of, of people who, who wind up, you know, coming back after, after big election losses, you know, I, I think of Pat Quinn, you know, he had a number of times when, you know, he, the ups and downs of his political career and he eventually winds up as governor. And, and, you know, here we have, we have Alexi who I think has ambitions for bigger things because don't forget the secretary of state's race is kind of a forgotten stepping stone for higher political office. I mean, Jesse White held it for 26 years and didn't go anywhere. He didn't want to go anywhere, but before him, we had George Ryan. He was a secretary of Jim state Edgar. Become governor, Jim Edgar. And then before him, Alan Dixon, sure. who became U.S. senator. So this, this is this is a, a very important prize in state government that, that has people, a lot of people have forgotten about, you know, because it reaches so many people. Everybody has to deal with them at least once or twice a year on, on driver's license issues, um, you know, business and corporations. And, and, you know, there are also uh, a lot of jobs in that office, about 4,000 jobs. So it's a, you know, it's an important place. Mary Miller defeated Rodney Davis in a downstate race that pitted two incumbent congressmen against each other after being remapped into the same district. Victory for white life, that remark that she made at the Trump rally, it reminded me of what Richard M. Daly said in 1989, saying Chicago needs a white mayor, and then claiming what he really said was wet mayor, whatever that means. But how did she, how did she overcome that, Tina? Uh, you know, I, I did cover that rally. I do think she misspoke. I do think her campaign came out right away to say it. She, she did a tweet that she said, right to life and with featuring a picture of her and her family and her grandchildren. Um, so she kind of tried to ignore that. Um, I don't know how much of a factor that is, but clearly she has a history of saying things that have drawn ire from Republicans. Um, I, for, for Rodney Davis, I think this is it's extremely devastating to the moderate Republicans in the state and many who helped him get elected. Um, obviously, part of this is that he wanted to form the first January 6th committee and Trump was upset about that. Um, there's a story out there today that says on average, um, Republicans who spoke out against January 6th or I believe that tried to form a committee are losing by at least 13 points in the primary. So you're seeing an effect of these people who went up against Trump even slightly who are losing to people like Mary Miller. The first congressional district, Dave, 17 candidates, Jonathan Jackson, son of civil rights leader, the Reverend Jesse Jackson, won this crowded race with 19% of the vote to 13% for Alderman Pat Dowell. Lori Lightfoot stays out of it, even though Dowell is her handpicked chair of the budget committee. And even though the mayor needs all the aldermen she can get to endorse her reelection campaign. What surprised you about this race? Jackson got a huge influx of money late from the cryptocurrency industry. Should we be worried about that? Well, I mean, our colleague Glenn Sweet was the one who was reporting on that cryptocurrency angle. And I mean, I think what, what's missing from, from that equation is what exactly is the cryptocurrency industry looking for from soon to be Congressman Jackson? And what will he do uh, to deliver something to that industry? Will he deliver something? That's that's the big question. You know, I think, you know, the, the evidence that, that the Jackson brand somehow got tarnished by, you know, Jesse Jackson Jr.'s fall and Sandy Jackson's fall. 
Uh, I think that's a little premature. I mean, Jackson was able to use the last name, use his father's legacy to really kind of stand out from a crowded field. And, you know, now the test is to do something and, 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 uh, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting. He's, he's probably going to be going into a U.S. House of Representatives where Democrats are in the minority and, and the ability to do things, especially for freshman Democrats, is going to be virtually nil. So he, he's going to have to figure out kind of a, a way to start making a mark and, and making some noise uh, in Congress in, in order to really kind of, you know, uh, make a mark there. Alderman Gil Viegas, the mayor's former city council floor leader, trounced by State Representative Delia Ramirez in the new congressional district created to favor Hispanics. Did this surprise you, Tina? Uh, this did not really surprise me, um, but it is interesting to see how the district was redistricted to include some other areas, um, some suburban areas. And I wasn't sure how that how these people, the progressives would be able to get their message out to people that are maybe more moderate in some of those in the suburbs. Um, and this was a battle of the progressives. So Delia was able to, to out progressive Gilbert Vegas. And um, I believe she had, I think her endorsements definitely helped her um, towards the end of the campaign. And Assessor Fritz Kage was pushed by Carrie Steele of the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District, but hung on for a decisive win, even though Steele had the backing of unions and downtown real estate business interests who were pretty furious with Kage's recent assessments and his decision to shift the burden from homeowners to business. How did he pull that off, Dave? Well, you know what, that's, I, I got to admit to you, Fran, that's a race that I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to, but I, I, I do think, you know, Kegi has, was, was first elected as a reformer and, and just by virtue of him ticking off so many people, I would say he, he, he pretty much uh, lived up to his uh, reformer uh, bona fides, his pedigree there, I think. So, you know, it'll, it'll be, uh, I, I think for four years he's got another another crack to to, to further anger that uh, that sector of the population, the, uh, the the downtown real estate people. Um, but but yeah, I, I think he's uh, he's he he had a, a race that was not quite as close as people maybe thought it would be. And then we had the Madigan effect, where indicted former House Speaker Mike Madigan had a couple of close allies who lost their races, including State Representative Mike Zalewski, whose father and namesake, former Alderman Mike Zalewski, had his home raided by the feds. The elder Zalewski, one of several Madigan buddies, clouded onto the roster of lobbyists at ComEd. I assume this, this did not surprise you either, Tina. This did not surprise me. And I, I do think I don't know how this will go on with time, if the Madigan effect will continue or not. But um, with with Mike, it's also about, you know, he was veering towards being he's, he was part of the mod squad, the moderates. Um, and it seemed like people wanted someone that were that was a little bit more um, more to the left in his district. So if you're, you're just kind of seeing a political shift in some areas, but you, yeah, you can definitely say that people might have wanted a change and they know who he is. They know who his dad is. They know who his sister is. It's possible. They just wanted a clean slate. So as we wrap up, is this race for governor over and what of the future of the Republican party with Darren Bailey as their nominee, the salad days for the GOP, as you have mentioned, when they controlled the governor's mansion under Jim Thompson and Jim Edgar, they were a centrist party, appealed to suburban women. What is their future now, and financially also, without Ken Griffin's money, assuming he stops giving so much when he makes the move to Florida? 
I think that the, the Republican Party in Illinois, if, if they cannot win uh, in, in a year that for, for months now, people have been talking about being a red wave year. If, if they can't increase in their in, in their headcount here, it, it's it's yet more proof that this party is just in complete disarray and, and is going to be uh, lost for a long, long time in the wilderness. I mean, you think about it. This is a party right now that doesn't seem to have room for someone like Jim Edgar. I mean, Edgar... Edgar is a, is a, is an absolute student of government, and he you know he, he's won statewide races I think four different times, so he knows he knows what he's talking about when he says that that it's one thing for a party you know to get out of a primary, but you got to win the general election, and I think that is Darren Bailey's big challenge here. I don't you know if if he has this uh, surprise win of of defeating. Um, you know, defeating uh, Richard Irvin in, in Aurora, but yet yet loses the election to J.B. Pritzker by 20 points. What's going to be accomplished for the Republicans at that point? The 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 the, the far right Republicans, I, they have to be like scratching their heads at some point. Realization has to click in. They can't keep being this party that claims that when they lose, it's a result of vote fraud and and, and things like that. It's it's a matter of sitting down and coming up with policy positions that appeal to the middle as well as to the to the core constituency. And right now, Bailey has not done a whole lot. It's still early, but he's not done much of anything for that that middle group of people out there that still exists. Tina, is this governor's race over before it even begins? I don't think so. I think both sides need to work very hard. I think J.D. Pritzker should be worried about the far right contingency in the state. Um, as As you just said, like the the middle, they don't know where to go. Um, so I don't know if they will, if Bailey will court them, if he will be able to get some of these urban people or some of these people who, who liked and supported Jim Edgar, who don't care about social issues. Um, so it'll be a matter of trying to win over this, I believe, I believe a very big population of moderates who will probably have to choose based on their social issues and nothing else. Well, we thank you both for uh, sharing your uh, wonderful insight with us. We will watch with interest. And then, of course, we have the, the what I call the main event in February, the mayor's race. And we will see yes. you all next week. 